Hello everybody, Azrin the Language Nerd here. This is going to be a different podcast episode. It has been at least a year, something like that, since I've posted an interview that I've done with someone. And so today we have Kasha from Ikigai Connections. It's a really interesting podcast. We talk about quite a few things in terms of language learning, obviously, and more specifically Japan and Japanese. Enjoy the episode. Okay, it is recording. So, hello everybody. Hope you're having a fantastic morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on what time it is for you right now as you're watching this. It's been a long time since I have done an interview with somebody else, unless you're counting the Ask Azrin episodes where Jared is there every week, but it's been a long time since we've had a one-off guest. And so I'm excited to, I'm excited to be making this video slash podcast right here. And so today we have... Hello, everybody. My name is Kasha, and I am very much into Japanese. I also speak Polish because my parents are from Poland, and I, like Azarin, am very much into learning languages and learning about other cultures, so I'm very excited to be here. Nice. So you said your family's from Poland. Mm-hmm. Were you born there? Were you born stateside? Like, where, where were you born? Where were you raised? Yep, my parents emigrated from Poland, and then me and my sisters were born here in Michigan. And um, I visited Poland a few times as a child. And then as an adult, I was actually working in Poland for a couple of years. I was able to work in the electronics industry in a Japanese company on the west side of Poland. And then I was able to live in Warsaw and I was a freelance interpreter translator where I was um, sent on various interpreting slash, well, mainly I was sent to other places in Poland for interpreting assignments. And then I also got some crazy translation assignments um, at home. So that was a lot of fun. Wow. So a Japanese company in Poland, that can't be something you see every day. Actually, you'd be surprised. I don't have the exact number and I think I'd have to Google it to find out, but there's a lot of Japanese companies, especially in manufacturing, um, hmm. maybe primarily automotive related, um, but there are definitely other industries that are also represented. And there's quite a big Japanese population in Poland, as well as so many Japanese people who are studying Polish and their Polish is by far way better than mine. And it's embarrassing. I don't know. I, <laughs> I almost don't want to talk to them in Polish because it's just embarrassing for me because I studied it as a child. I mean, I learned it with my family. I went to Polish school once a week. I had Polish catechism, Polish Girl Scouts, but it wasn't like a, a rigid curriculum of studying Polish. So I still make mistakes to this day, but um, it was, you'd be very surprised to see how many Japanese people speak the most beautiful Polish ever. So Wow, very, very interesting. And would that be in Japan or just when you were in Poland, you noticed that? Actually, both. There's a big po uh, population of Japanese people in Japan who study Polish. And maybe they've gone overseas to Poland for study abroad and came back, but also a lot of Japanese people in Poland who also speak the language. Hmm. I learned something new. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Hmm. So... I suppose, so you speak Polish and because you grew up with it, do you, can you also read and write? Yes, um, Polish has some extra characters that you have to add little like uh, symbols to. So I can do that on my computer as well as handwriting. So 
uh, reading and writing is no big deal. Um, I actually, I really prefer reading. Um, speaking is where I kind of get a little bit, I don't have as much confidence when I speak because I feel like they can tell that I'm an imposter and I'm, I've got this American accent. So, but reading and writing is no big deal. And when I actually lived in Poland, you know, my name is Kasia and in Poland, it's a very typical name. So I'd be walking on the streets, you know, in Warsaw or wherever, and I'd often hear Kasia and I would like want to turn around, but I knew it wasn't for me. And then if I was talking with people, I just, I was really shy about using Polish out loud because I felt like they would see right through me. So I would do a lot of like pointing and just saying a few couple, you know, like the, the main words, like, please and thank you in Polish if I was going to a store or restaurant. And I was just, you know, as a language learner, you, you know what that's like, you just kind of the confidence level that you have really depends on, you know, I don't know, I think your confidence affects how you can speak and read and write. So that definitely affected me when I was in Poland, but it's, it's fun. I'd you agree. Learn. I agree with that. Your yeah. confidence will affect your fluency, both in speaking and listening as well as like reading, writing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. That's 100% because I don't know if you can relate to this, but I've had experiences where I, I'm speaking in a language that I speak very well, but then I speak to one particular person and I speak much less fluently with that particular person than I do with some other person. Absolutely. Some people may intimidate you or you may want to impress somebody or even the kind of like the wording you're using, the terminology, like with Japanese, and we can get to that later if you like, but with Japanese, it depends on your level of politeness too. If you're talking to somebody that's, you know, way above you in the social status, then you want to use very polite form. But if it's somebody that's, you know, you're a student together and you may want to use casual conversations. So the more you think about these intricacies, the more it kind of like stops you from being as confident in speaking. So I, I completely, completely can um, relate and understand. Hmm. Do you have any, do you have any experiences in your life where maybe there is someone that you spoke to and it was more clunky than what it could have been? Yes. My aunts and my uncles in Poland. Okay. <laughs> because, because, you know, you want to have this relationship with them and then you want them to show that you, you find knowing Polish and knowing the culture very important. So I wanted to show off that I, yes, I'm still Polish, right? Even though I live overseas. So I was very nervous if they would be critical. My grandmother especially was always like, it's like this, not like this. But I appreciated that because it helped me learn the language so much. Hmm. So when you speak in, when you speak in Polish, are the biggest challenges around like vocabulary? Is it more like pronunciation? Is it the grammar? Like what are the biggest challenges? Oh, with Polish, it's definitely grammar. Okay. I think that because with Polish, you have the, the gender specific uh, words. So whether it's, you know, you're counting something or the verb towards something, it'll always change depending on whether you are, you know, speaking with the feminine, the masculine or the neither. Uh, verb uh, forms so that is extremely difficult to know so did you not pick it up naturally when you were growing up I did to an extent but like for example my husband right now he's studying Polish on Duolingo and he's been doing it for nearly I think two years now and he goes through these lessons and I'm like I would have said that differently I wasn't aware of that as a rule because I spoke you know I spoke all the time in Polish uh, growing up but I never really knew like the exact grammatical rules. So 
Yeah, there's times when I'm like, oh, I would have said that differently. Oh no, I'm even I'm learning on this Duolingo app. But is that because you're wrong or because you're you would have just said it differently? Um, most of the time because I'm wrong. Okay. And a lot of the time because I just wasn't aware of any other way to say it. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. That happens because what if you if you grew up in Poland, for example, you would be surrounded by much more Polish than growing up outside of Poland. And so what happens is that, at least in my experience. And I can relate with not with Polish, but with Gujarati. So Gujarati is what my family speaks. And similar, similar story as you. Like I grew up speaking it with my family, but uh, until I studied it actively, uh, I had huge, I still have gaps in my knowledge, but I had really, really big gaps in my Gujarati knowledge. But one thing I noticed is that when you don't grow up in a country or region that speaks the language, that the language in question, what happens is that your brain makes the wrong connections because it only had... It, it, you were only able to listen to a very small selection of people. You only got to listen to, let's see, maybe mom, dad, maybe, you know, grandparents, maybe uh, like, let's say 10 to 20 people is like you listen to regularly, maybe versus if you were in Poland, you know, you might have, you would have heard, yes, those same 10 to 20 people, but also you would have grown up with other friends that were Polish speaking. You would have grown, you would have talked to their parents. You would have gone to friends' houses, the news, whatever's on TV, when the radio's playing in the background, you would have maybe watched Polish children's TV shows versus maybe you watched English when you weren't in Poland. Like you would have been exposed to much more, uh, a lot more people that spoke Polish and which allows you, your brain to make the right connections of, oh, this is how you say this because you heard 69 people say that versus if you heard 10 people say something like, oh, that's how it all works, right? And your brain makes all these connections, but it's not exactly right. Absolutely agree. And I'm gonna be dating myself a little bit, but back when I was studying Polish, there was, we, you know, we had Polish newspapers that we picked up at our local church, our little Polish store, but we didn't really have the internet to go on and like look at YouTube right. videos. And I'm so, so excited for people now who are studying a language, you know, you can immerse yourself. Like if you have the time, obviously, and maybe, you know, maybe you drive a lot somewhere. So turn on like a podcast or some kind of, you know, show and listen to it as you're driving, not even to like pay attention. Cause again, you got to pay attention to the road first, but if you can just start listening to sounds of how, how the language is said, you know, how, whether it's comedy or news or, or business related, just like listen to stuff, you know, YouTube channels. Oh my gosh, you can immerse yourself so much in any kind of culture you want. So it's really, really, um, it's just so many ways to learn a language right now. So I'm really excited for anybody who is studying it right now. Yeah. It's much easier now than it would have been before the internet. Yes, yes, yes. I have a, I have a Mandarin student she take, or rather her daughter, it's not really the mom, but mom used to take classes, but now it's her five-year-old daughter who takes Mandarin classes. And uh, it's funny because she lives in the countryside and they have lots of bikers, like not motor bikers, but pedal bikers that go by where she lives. And somehow or another, a lot of them, a lot of people will stay at her house for like a day or two. They just oh. kind of stay at her house. I don't really understand if she arranges it. I don't know if they just stop there. I don't know how that works out. But she lives in a very small rural area where everyone knows each other and there's lots of cyclers that go through and she ends up hosting them at her house for like a day or two. Kind of like back in the back in the day where people would just 
like, you know, when you watch those TV shows and they give you room and board for a night, you sleep in the barn for a night or something, walking those, yeah. it's kind of like that, but a modern day version, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And um, why did I say that? Oh yes, the reason I brought that up is because, so they often have people that are from different countries that speak different languages. And before, I mean, before the internet where you could just go into Google or YouTube or think or applicate, download an application, you often were limited by whatever resources happened to be available to you. Mm -hmm. So she lives in a very rural area that probably if she lived, well, if she did live before the internet, but if currently we had no internet, she would have to take advantage of the people that came through or cause I don't like, what if the library doesn't have books? Like, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Like, where do you go? Like, like you're stuck, right? You're mm -hmm. stuck. Um, like I remember I was in, I went to Germany in high school and uh, internet existed in high school, but smartphones, I don't know if they didn't mm -hmm. exist or we didn't use them. Like the whole app culture and always having access to the internet was not a thing that was not mm -hmm. nowhere near as popular. So my friend and I, we were, we were like, well, let's learn some Germany, uh, some Germany, some German, excuse me, let's learn some German. So the way we learned German was our teacher, our high school teacher had given us a, a little booklet with like phrases. And it wasn't even a booklet. It was maybe two small pages about yay tall, about that tall. And we would be like, okay, so I can't, I don't speak German, but it'd be like, so like, how, what do I remember? Like, guten tag is good morning. So like, oh, so guten must be good, right? Mm -hmm. And then like, we learned like, ich bin Azrin, I am Azrin. So I'm like, oh, so if I want to say I'm good, it must be ich guten. That must be I'm good because ich bin Azrin is I'm Azrin. So we would just like piece it together and that's how we would try to learn German. Mm -hmm. Because that's the resource we had access to. Yeah, you do what you can. And if you're creative, you can, you know, I always talk to people about, if, especially if they're so concerned about not knowing a language and how to communicate if they travel there. And I just say, you know, as long as you're open-minded and you want to try, even if you say something that maybe sounds ridiculous in that language, you're, you're kind of trying to break that barrier. You're, you're taking one step forward and hopefully you'll find someone on the other side who's willing to kind of work with you and help you and give you the next, the next word to learn in that sentence. Mm. And it's just about your personality and your desire to learn. So we were not born with any language. We have to learn everything right even the, our very first native language so as long as people are okay with making mistakes and just taking what like you, you had those two pieces of paper right to work with mm -hmm. like that's fantastic and we can all do that with so much that we have so good for you so let, let's go to japanese actually that you, that made me think of something so i'm a very beginner in japanese i've i've been learning on a pretty casual basis i would say for roughly two or three months, something like that, two months-ish, three months. Um, and what I was wondering is, do you find that, how do I phrase this question? When you talk to Japanese people, when you're in Japan or whatnot, how helpful, helpful is not the right word. How friendly of a learning environment is it? That's probably the best way to put it in your experience. 100%. I think that's a great question that you're asking me. I haven't had anybody ask me that one. I really think that at least in my situation, I've always had very supportive people. So I, I actually joked about this before, but it's a, a, a real story. I first went to Japan when I was 17. I stayed with a homestay family. I knew literally no words when I was there. I was just 
kind of thrown into a foreign exchange experience. And I was in the middle of nowhere and his homestay family was just absolutely wonderful. I learned one word. So it was like, arigato. Oh, nice job. And then I learned the extended version of arigato gozaimasu. <gasps> nice job. And every single word I added to my vocabulary, I felt as if they were my personal cheerleaders. And then the teachers were the same. And even when I would go around to the city, and of course, I I, I often scared the little children because they'd be like, oh, it's a foreigner. Like, who is this person with the long blonde hair? And I, I looked different, but mm -hmm. they still were curious about me. And they came up to me and they asked me questions. And that experience for, lasted for me the entire time I lived in Japan. And I was there for a total of eight years between the years of 1995 and 2005, six, yes, long time, there for a long time. And I've always been supported by everybody. And a lot of my friends say the same thing. My parents, when they visited me for graduation in Japan, they know literally zero words in Japanese. They came to visit me. They were fine. They were going to from Tokyo to Osaka and Kyoto on the Shinkansen bullet train by themselves. They had no problems. If they'd go up to a map and we're looking at the bullet, um, the, the train map and they're like, where do we go next? People would come up to them and say, are you lost? can I help you? So they didn't even need me to be their personal tour guide. I always felt welcome. And I think that, you know, I've, and yes, I have heard some, you know, maybe negative experiences from some people that are like, oh, I've had such a difficult time in Japan. It's not for everybody. I'm not going to paint it as a picture of this heaven for everybody, but I really do believe, and I've only studied a couple of languages, just very basic French, very basic German, very basic French. I've, I've worked, I'm sorry, I've, visited quite a few countries and maybe I felt that some were difficult to be a tourist in and some were you know fine or whatever but I've always felt that Japan is very welcoming so um, right now of course obviously it's very difficult to travel to Japan with the pandemic but if anybody anybody who's watching this video or listening to the podcast wants to go to Japan I really think that um, you'll just have a great great time interesting what are some places that maybe were harder for you from a tourist perspective or even language learning perspective, maybe? Well, from a tourist perspective, you know, I lived in this one area once. It was called Asakusa and it's a very traditional uh, like temples and stuff there. But there's also a lot of tourists that go there. But I've already been living in Japan. I had already been living for many years and I'd be getting off the train and going through like to, to a restaurant or to the grocery store and then heading back to my apartment. So I'd often had people coming up to me thinking I was a tourist and they were trying to sell me touristy things. And I'd say, no, no, I'm, I actually live here. And I'd respond in Japanese and they'd be like, oh, that's interesting. So I kind of got lumped into the category of the mm. other foreigners that were visiting that part of that famous area. But it was kind of also endearing and I just learned to appreciate it. And I, I always like to talk back in Japanese and surprise them and they'd be like, oh, wow, you speak Japanese. And it was just like wonderful. So I mean, it can be a little bit difficult, but in language learning wise, I think, I really do think Japanese is a little bit complex. You know, you have three alphabets and mm -hmm. it may sound like, what, I have to learn three alphabets. The two of them are very similar to each other. The first two, hiragana and katakana. Yeah. And then the third one is the based off of the Chinese characters. And it may seem so difficult, but you just take it one step at a time. And once you know the like, parts, the basic key elements of these characters, if you memorize those, it makes it easier to read them, but it is, it takes some time. So, 
and I, I'll just mention this, that there's people who I know who are professional interpreters where they speak and use Japanese verbally all the time. They may not necessarily be good at reading or writing just because they're on their feet, they're listening and they're speaking. So they're focusing on the listening and speaking aspect and they may not necessarily know how to read and that's perfectly fine. Then you've got people who are really good at reading and writing but are shy and they won't talk. Maybe they can listen and they understand most of it, but just for them to talk is just like, oh my gosh, don't make me do that. And you mean, so, you mean foreigners, of course. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, there's a lot to learn about the Japanese language and just whoever is learning, just take it one step at a time, see where you, what you appreciate. You know, there's people who like a manga, so they like to read the comic books. For them, if they want to sit down and just read manga book after manga book, good for them. They get to learn it that way too. And if you like anime, it's it's watching on the screen and listening. So find your best way of learning the language and just go for for it from there. See, that's what there's there's two things you said that stuck out that stood out to me. The first one is so Japanese is different than a lot of languages that I've learned or have personal experience with, where, well, let's compare it to French, for example. So French, for instance, you're you how do I say this? You're not going to find a lot of people that engage with French culture without mm. necessarily being interested in the language versus Japanese, you will. You might have people that watch anime and they don't really speak Japanese. You might have picked up some Japanese from the animes. You might know some words and phrases and they might have learned a lot even from anime. Who knows? It depends on the person. Or people that like manga, for example, or, or people that really love to eat sushi, right? They're engaging in something that's Japanese without necessarily engaging with the language. And for example, with French, off the top of my head anyway, unless you like French cuisine or something, like a lot of the, um, what do you call that? Like the upper class cuisines or um, what do you call that? There's a word for that. Hi-fi cuisine? No, high, fine dining. There we go. Fine mm -hmm. dining, right? Like if you like fine dining and stuff, you might engage that way. But typically in my experience, you know, people engage with Japanese more so far anyway that I've noticed people engage with Japanese Japan related things more that may not necessarily be directly learning language than for example French Spanish mm -hmm. is a bit different because Spanish has like salsa music and people like to eat burritos mm -hmm. and Mexican food and right. and Latin Americans generally speaking are very open friendly warm hearted people so it's very easy to get along with them and they're nice to everybody and so people like to talk to them and um so that's number one. That's one thing you said that was quite interesting. It's like, right, you could actually just engage in calligraphy or in manga or in whatever it is. Like that's very, very true. More reading or more writing versus more speaking. And the second thing you said, which made me chuckle, chuckle a little bit while, while you're talking, you might have noticed, is you're talking, this is something I've noticed with Japanese learners. They get very, they feel very daunted by the, the, um, the kanji and the three alphabets and everything. And it makes me laugh because, so I learned Mandarin first. And... Mm. And so for me, when I go into it, I go like, oh, I have to learn some kanji. Oh, well, that's not so bad because in Mandarin, you have to infinitely learn characters. <laughs> it's never ending. Like you could be a native speaker and you will, not often, of course, if you're a native speaker, it won't happen often, but it will happen. You're like, wait, what character is that? You're like, oh, that's this character. Oh, right. Or it often happens like, wait, how do you, how do you write, the, what character do you use for the, uh? and they can't remember like, oh, wait, which one is it? And if you look it up, like, oh, right, of course, that character, duh. But for like a learner's perspective, you're basically always having, if you're going to learn how to read and write, some people choose not to in Mandarin, you're going to always have to learn. There's always more characters to learn. You're never done reading and writing. Mm. It's funny because for me going to Japanese, I thought, oh, I have to learn a bunch of kanji. Okay. Well, it's better than learning every, well, not every, but 
but constant <laughs> learning Chinese characters. I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. But then when I met other Japanese learners, they're like, oh, kanji, I have to learn hundreds or maybe a thousand or like, what? And it's always very interesting. <laughs> it's an interesting experience I've had. Yes, I, uh, kanji, I actually really like kanji. I, for some reason, have a pictographic memory. So when I see mm. a kanji, I am able to guess whether it has anything to do with water or, right. you know, the earth or something like that. So I, I always liked to study them. It's like a challenge, like a puzzle, but there's, you know, I think they say, what, what is it? 2000, 3000 characters. As long as you have the first basic ones done, you can kind of read a newspaper or, you know, the generics of what's happening in the world around you. So is that the same in I, Japanese too? Cause in Mandarin, that's about, if you know, two, two, 3000 characters, you're going to, I mean, assuming you've learned common everyday characters, you're going to be okay, you're going to be in a okay shape. Yeah. Is that the case for Japanese too? Yes, I think so. And I forget the exact numbers, so please don't quote me on that. But it's, yeah, you can survive. And in fact, I know people who lived in Japan for many, many years and don't know how to read or write anything. And they survive because, you know, once you know the culture, like you were talking about the point before, there's a lot about, like, if you are open to learning about another culture, about how they, you know, their food, their customs, their mannerisms, you really can get by in any country, even if you're like not a, you know, a person who's good with words or learning another language. So it's like the excitement of living in a foreign country, right? So I think, and plus a lot of signs in, in Japan are also written in other languages. So mm. train stations can be written in English, You typically always English. And sometimes in some stations, they added Chinese and Korean, which is very helpful. Um, street signs as well. So you don't have to necessarily like read the characters. You can just read the English letters below it and you know you're going in the right direction. So I think there's really a lot you can do without having to worry too much about the kanji because yes, it can be overwhelming, but if you want to go for it, go for it. Challenge yourself and learn a couple more crazy characters. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Um, this might be a really complex question or a very deep question but I'm sure there's a lot to say about it. How similar or different would you say, let's say a North, I, mean, I, don't, I don't wanna say Western because even like Western is so general. Okay, let's say an American culture versus a Japanese culture. How similar or different are they in your experience? Well, yes, so this is a, I can go in so many directions. Um, let's focus on the business culture, because sure. that's kind of what my specialty is at. So I can talk a little bit more about that. I help people who study Japanese language and culture to help find them jobs. So they use my job board and they look for Japanese related jobs in the United States, for example. So the business culture between the two countries is very different. So anything from, you know, how you act in a meeting, how you answer questions, whether it's a yes or a no, sometimes you the, the answers are confusing to people. So you really need to understand the culture before knowing whether you're having, you're actually communicating, even if both sides are speaking the same language. Right. You know, things like how to come to a decision, how um, business meetings, you know, end and how they actually come up to a conclusion. Like that can be very frustrating for both sides. So there's a lot when it comes to the business in that matter. You know, and for me personally, when I lived in Japan, the things that were about the, the customs and, and the, the mannerisms and the culture of Japan to me, really, I really appreciate it. So for example, being on time or speaking the language, trying to, to say the other language, the train stations, they all run to the minute or to the second, I'm kidding. 
not minute to the second, they're always going to be like, if you have a, a like a, a big commute in Tokyo, you're going to go from station A through B and C to D. You're doing the same thing every single day. And it is so punctual. It's ridiculous. Or talking to someone and calling them um, politely by their, like their name and maybe adding son to Azrin son, I would call you that just to be uh, very polite. The, the humbleness of people is so refreshing coming from America where people are like, oh, no, no, I'm still not, you know, my English is still, is not very good. And then you're talking to them in English and they're just absolutely amazing. So it's, they're being very humble about what they're doing, but it's very, um, it's not super boastful. And it just kind of makes you want to like give them a hug and say, yes, you're so good, you know, or like respectfulness in public. Um, I lived in different countries too, where I would be standing in line to get a ticket for a train and there would be people not paying attention to the lines, but in Japan, even if there is no like, people are always going to be respectful of, you know, somebody before, you know, you go ahead, you go ahead next. So I've always appreciated that about that culture in a sense, and coming from Michigan where, or even like being, of, you know, when I lived in Poland for a little bit, like the train would arrive at the train station, the doors would open and the people getting onto the train, getting off the train are fighting to get on and off at the same time. Whereas in Japan, I'm sure, you, I think you were there for a little bit, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if you've experienced this, but the train, the door opens, everybody gets off the train and the people who are waiting to get on the train, they're actually in two different lines because they're going right. to be the first line gets onto this train and the next line goes onto the next train. Like, it's just, I don't know, for me, I love that kind of stuff. So big culture shock. Um, and the more you are interested in Japanese culture, I think the easier it is for you. And then also just a quick word on reverse culture shock, because I wanted to do everything in Japan, the Jap Japanese way. And I really got immersed in it. After eight years of living there, coming back home to Michigan, I felt such reverse culture shock because it was so different. And I wasn't expecting that of my own home, like country, right? So that's also extremely important, I think. Yeah, there's a lot I could say on that. Do you still have, <laughs> so just looking at the time, do you still have like another, let's say uh, like 10 minutes? Or Let's do, you have do it. Else? Okay, awesome. Let's do it. Cool, because I have a lot. There's a, you've you said a lot of interesting things, which <laughs> yeah, which is like, oh, if you have extra time, let's use it. Um, I was going to say, uh, sort of yes. Um, so number one, I think that happens when, and correct me if I'm wrong, if this is not the case in Japan, but that orderliness where things are on time and people wait for people to come off the train before they go on, letting people go in front of you in line. It comes from, in my experience, a, a certain level of trust in the system, quote unquote, whether it's the train system, whether it's the business that you're dealing with, whether it's the, there's a certain level of trust that, okay, if I let these guys go on, I'll, I'll come off first, I'll still be able to get on the train. Mm -hmm. If I uh, let this person go in front of me, I'm still going to get my turn. It's, it's going to be okay. If I, um, whatever it is, things of that nature, right? If I'm, I should act, if I act polite and kind, it's going to be okay. Versus, for instance, I can speak to, to India. Mm -hmm. If I let people in front of me and if I'm going to wait, I will never get my turn. You will never get your turn. You, it will not happen. You'll be left in the dirt. No one's going to take care of you. Gen I mean, there's exceptions, of course, and that's a generalizing statement, but I'll give you an example. I remember there, my grandma and I, it was in 2018, we went to India 
and we had a flight problem on the way there. So when we landed, mm-hmm. it was a big delay. So when we landed, we had to go see there. So basically this, they announced on the announcement thing that, Hey, you're going to have to go see someone um, to figure out what your flight changes were, if there's any delays or whatnot, which is okay. So we land and I, I'm not even, <laughs> I wish I could describe it to you and I wish I could show you a video or something, but everybody had swarmed this one airport employee who's screaming out, oh, this flight, oh, you go there, what's your thing? Oh, you're gonna go here. And everyone swarms one person. And if you were to wait to go kind of like hang out and be like, oh, this wait polite, they, they would have left. She would have like left, like, oh, I guess no one else is here, and left, and then you would have gotten, gotten a hold of her. So you have no choice but to push your way in and be like, oh, I'm on this flight, where do I gotta go? Oh, I gotta go there. Okay, then go back to my grandma. My grandma's on the outside. So I go, okay, we gotta go this way. And then we had to like borderline jog, like to get, we just caught the flight. Like I was telling my grandma, we should take our time because then we'll get there and they'll be like, oh, we missed the flight. Okay, here's something. Oh, by the way, and this was in, oh, by the way, here's the, here's the thing. This is in Europe. We had a stopover in Europe. So this happened with Indians swarming someone in Europe. This is like a lot of people had flights to India. So it was all Indians doing this. And there's an Indian person who must have been off the Indian airline, right? Like the flight that was going there. It wasn't like all the Europeans, it was the Indians. It was very interesting to see all behaving this way, which, and then I was like, I was like, grandma, we should probably walk slow and miss our flight because we're in Europe and they'll give us, they'll, they'll rebook us or something when they see we're like, because otherwise we might miss our Indian flight and then we're going to have a real problem. We had one more connecting flight in India. It's like, we missed that connecting flight in India. Like then we're going to have a big problem. Like, like no 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 we should rush to catch it so we borderline jog and just catch it but that's a great example like of you there you can't wait and be polite because you wouldn't have we wouldn't have got we would have missed everything we wouldn't have caught our flight and that happens all the time in all sorts of social situations in india that's super interesting and i i honestly think that in japan you there is definitely a level of trust and you just i would never have imagined that i had to push to, you know, to, to be seen or heard or to get to my next, I mean, I've never experienced that in any way whatsoever. Maybe, um, maybe if it's an unruly environment, like maybe there's alcohol and it's an evening concert or something, but to be honest, I actually worked in the concert industry in Japan and it was amazing to see these concerts finish at like 10 o'clock at night enough so that people could go home on the trains and they would out of a 50,000 person venue, they would all politely file out, head home, and they would even take their trash with them. So that's just never would have met. I never would have imagined a a scenario like that. However, then when I went to Europe and I was living in Poland for a little bit and Italy for a little bit, I think the biggest shock I had was in Venice. No, not Venice, um, uh, Sicily. And I visited Sicily just for a weekend. And I remember I had to get by return train ticket back. And I was being polite and I was letting people do their thing but I never got to the front of the line to get my own ticket even though there were these barriers where you had to stand in line to get your tickets nobody was paying attention to them they were literally unhooking them walking through and hooking them back up and I was like this is madness like after living in Japan for so long and having that kind of you know politeness and then not not seeing that in this situation it made me realize how different cultures are and you have to, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, right? So you have to pay attention to the local culture, 
do what is necessary in that culture, but be respectful and always keep like an open mind about what is or is not acceptable and kind of just like blend in. I always like to do that to see if I could blend it in Japan. Obviously the way I look, I wouldn't be able to, but I wanted to at least blend in a little bit just to show that I respect their culture right. and their, you know, their rules. So but do you blend yeah. in like, so here, so here's my experience. I've been to places where I don't blend in because my skin color, I just don't look like the people of that country, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and yet, so what's an example, like in Peru would be an example or even, even Taiwan or China, let's say Taiwan. That's the most, that's the most recent example I could think of where I, I'm not, any form of that part of Asia. Like no, not Japanese, not Chinese. Like I'm nothing. Like I'm very clearly not from there. But um, what would happen is I would go in a market or something or I talk to people. And then near the end of my trip, the comment I would always get, almost always, almost always, they'd say, oh, so how long have you lived, how long have you lived in Taiwan? They'd always ask, oh, how long have you lived here? That'd be always the question. I hadn't really been there that long. It was only for two months. So it wasn't really that long. But they'd always ask, how long have you lived here? And that's just because of, I would assume the way I spoke, um, understanding how stuff would work versus in the beginning, it was never, that's, I never got that. They'd say, oh, so how long are you visiting Taiwan? Or are you new here? Uh, oh, did you study China, Mandarin in China? Because they could hear my accent or whatnot. Or, yeah. or like, oh, are you new here? I'd be in the train stations, just like you said in Japan. They'd walk up to me, oh, are you lost? Are you, I get those kinds of comments. But by the end of it, people would say, Oh, so how long have you lived here? They assumed mm-hmm. I lived there. Have you had experiences like that in Japan where because you're so familiar with the culture that of course you, you're not Japanese, but you've integrated to a certain extent that's noticeable? Yes, I definitely did. I, um, and also I stuck out a lot. So it'd be surprising, but not unusual when I would run into people and they would say, I meet them for the first time and I would say, nice to meet you. My name is Kasha. And I'm like, I know who you are. I see you on the train all the time going to whatever. And I'm like, well, that's kind of freaky, but you know, when you live in a certain place and you're going to the same locations, you, you know, school, work, whatever, you go to the same grocery stores, you go to the same, you know, drugstore, whatever people see you and they, I, I stick out. I stuck out all the time. So that was something that gave them a sense of familiarity about me, I believe. And then gave them the, the courage to maybe come up to me and ask me, a question or you know say something and strike a conversation up with me so I actually always appreciated that except when it got a little scary a couple times but it was mm. not really scary I'm just saying it's kind of strange when you have that happen but kind of get used to it and people were always very like I said when I started learning my very first few words in Japanese they were like oh you're so good you're so good and then they kept doing that until I became a little bit more fluent and I was able to go to a graduate school program. They're all in Japanese, gave my presentations in Japanese. And then they were like, nicely done. Like I felt that those um, amazing comments were very helpful to my confidence because even now I'm still, I haven't lived in Japan for a while. So I feel like my Japanese has kind of gone away a little bit, but I still, you know, I still appreciate these comments when they say, oh, how long did you live in Japan? Or you have a really good understanding of Japanese. Why is that? So it's, um, it kind of makes me feel nice too. And then, yeah, we get to talk about my time in Japan and how much I loved it. And it was just so good. It was a great, great time. Awesome. Final question. Um, well, two questions actually, but one is more about you, uh, just put a bit of a plug for you, but the final act, the final question that I have is, um, do you find that, uh, how do I phrase this? Do you find that people, with a different 
like different foreigners get treated differently in Japan or is it just one bucket of foreigners? Because that happens in some countries I've been to where one without, well, let's just be blunt, one skin color or face, facial feature of, of foreigner would be treated differently than a different type of foreigner. Does that happen in Japan or is everyone kind of lumped into foreigners? I definitely think that it happens just like probably in any country. There's definitely people who, you know, there's stereotypes and they'll have um, me, maybe I was fortunate because of my blonde hair and they, they, they pretty much assumed that I spoke English, even though mm. um, I had a lot of friends from non-English speaking countries who looked like me and they were often asked, oh, can you teach me English? And they would always go back with, I don't speak English or my, mm. my native tongue is this, this, this. So would I be assumed to speak English? Look with Indian features. I'm sorry. Would I be assumed to speak English? Cause, of, cause I don't, I mean, I have brown skin, but. I think so. I would assume so. I think that so because also there's a lot of other, you know, there's people of many different colors in Japan. And I do believe that they have and I'm not familiar completely with this, but I have experience. So, for example, one of my friends was um, he was often mistaken. He's of Italian background, but he was often mistaken and assumed to be from like Iran or the Middle East or something. So they often ask him these questions and he's like, no, I'm from the US. I just okay. happen to look darker or something. Oh. So I've hear I've heard of those stories, but they've never been um, malicious. They've right. never been just, right. They were just out of you know curiosity. So maybe, I don't know, maybe people like me are assumed to be from America, which did not um, help my friends from Canada or England or Australia. Cause they were always like, I don't speak American English. <laughs> and we'd say there's a big difference, but yeah. um, I think they're, they're aware that there's a whole bunch of different foreigners in Japan that are not cool. necessarily from just one area. Got it. And there's a big Indian population. I must say. That's, that's why I asked, because I wondered if they would see that you're an Indian and they would think, and they would default to like, not default to Hindi, but they would think I speak Hindi or Tamil or some other Indian language or whatnot. That's why, that's why I asked you that, but. I think, and again, I'm only speaking from my perspective in Tokyo, but I had a lot of friends from India and I had a lot of friends. I actually visited so many Indian restaurants in Tokyo that were very authentic and just absolutely wonderful. I, yeah. I've i never really talked about what Japanese people think of them, but they know that they are from, you know, many, I mean, India is huge. It's like, yeah. I don't know how many Japans can fit into India. So they know that there's different <laughs> cultures. And there's a big group of um, Japanese companies in India okay. that, I mean, huge amount, especially, I, I can only speak on, the, on behalf of the automotive industry, but so many Japanese people visit India as well. So mm. there's got to be a little bit higher level of understanding of multicultural people. Right. So, I mean, there's well, definitely more education that could be done, though. Let me tell you that, too. Interesting. Got it. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, why don't we, we can wrap it up there. Any, anything you'd like to plug? Well, if anybody's studying Japanese, please uh, take a look at my website, which is at this UR, this uh, QR code that you can snap a picture of um, or ikigaiconnections.com. Ikigai means like your passion, your purpose in life, like what you want to do. So I really help those people who study Japanese and want to find a job using those skills. So if anybody out there who's listening wants to do that. I actually, so I specifically focus on America, but I do have a resource page for Canadians too. There's a lot of Canadians listening. So 
uh, just let me know. So thank you for having me. This was fun. I always like to talk about languages and I definitely want to learn more languages into the future. So yes, I also want to become a polyglot like you. <laughs> cool. I'm going to do a related plug. So if you're learning Japanese, if you're a Jap, if you are, if you want to find work in, if you want to work with Japanese, meaning you want to find something that uses Japanese language, we want to brush up on your Japanese skills. And by all means, I'm looking for more Japanese students. I have two tutors. I'm highly motivated to find them work right now. Um, they're trying to, they want to, they're trying to retrofit a bus and they want to live out of a bus basically and like drive around to different cities and have a very nomadic life. And I think that's super cool. So I want to help them get there. So if you're trying to learn Japanese, you can also come to me and my business. So, okay, let's wrap it up there. Thank you, Kasha, for your time. That's and, awesome. Thank yeah, you. Everyone, thanks for watching. Slash listening.